0: season and uh, we're in a series on advent right now we're in week two of our advent series and if you missed last week's message we talked a little bit about the meaning of advent and why we observe advent Uh, advent is a season in our church here that we observe four weeks of waiting until Christmas so we mark four weeks before Christmas day and we observe this time of waiting until Christmas which is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus So Advent is a time that we remember the darkness of humanity before Christ came into the world. And it's also a time that we remember that we are now in a season of waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Advent is especially meaningful to us in seasons where we feel that God is distant or when we feel that God is silent. If you're here today and you're in a place where you're grieving or you're struggling or things are not turning out the way you hoped that they would... Advent season is especially for you. Advent season is where we meet God during the year. So if you're here and you feel far from God, or if you don't know God like you feel you should, I want to invite you during this season into a place of hope and restoration. That's what Advent is about. Advent is about recognizing being in a place of darkness where it feels like God is far and it feels like God is silent, but knowing that hope and restoration are coming. So I want to invite you into that during this season. Uh, But during this season, we're taking four weeks to explore Mary's song of praise from Luke chapter 1. We call this the Magnificat, and Mary sang this song of praise after she was told she would give birth to the Son of God as a virgin, and then that promise was confirmed to her. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised uh, our ancestors. So last week we covered verses 46 through 49, and this week we're going to zoom in on verses 50 and 51, where Mary says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. I love this stanza of her song because Mary speaks of God's mercy. She speaks of God's mercy as it relates to God's purpose in her life. And the reality is that Mary is not reluctantly obedient to God, but she understands that God has released purpose into her life. Sometimes when we think about being obedient to God, it sounds like it won't be very much fun. You know, we're like, my obedience to God means I can't have the fun I want to have. Or me living into the will of God for my life means that I can't do what I really want to do. But what Mary displays to us here is that she sees the release of God's purpose in her life as his mercy on her life. Sometimes when we, act, when we talk about God's purpose, it's hard for us to see it as mercy because we're afraid of it. But Mary fully lives in to that moment. She shows us that it is mercy that God would give us purpose for our lives and that God would allow us to partner with him for his purposes. She does say that that, uh, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. And this is kind of a funny phrase. And if you grew up in church, you've spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to fear God. Because sometimes we're like, oh, does that mean I should be afraid of God? You shouldn't be afraid of God. God is your father, and he's a good father. What it means to fear God, it means that we follow God. We do our best to be obedient to God, and we've given up the control of our lives to God's will for our lives. That's what it means to fear God. So she could have said, his mercy extends to those who follow him from generation to. To generation. But as she speaks about God's mercy, she gives us a few ideas of what mercy means in our lives. And the first thing she implies is that mercy requires power. Mercy requires power. In verse 50, she says his mercy extends. In verse 50, she calls God merciful. And in verse 51, she says God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. In verse 50, she says, God is merciful. And in verse 51, she says, God is powerful. Now we sometimes can see this as a contradiction, but for Mary, it's not a contradiction for God to be merciful and powerful. Some of us have been led to believe that showing mercy makes us a pushover. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but even for me, sometimes I feel that if I show someone mercy, they're going to take advantage of me. They're going to strip me of my power. But the reality is that mercy cannot happen outside of power. Someone must be powerful in order to be seen as merciful. It has to be someone with the ability to exact consequences on you. Someone can't be merciful to you if you don't owe them anything. God has the ability to destroy us for our sin. And in fact, the consequence that sin deserves is death. It says in the Bible that the wages of sin... Our death. What we earn with our sin is death. But God, rather than destroying us, God chooses to restore us. There's a common question about Christianity that keeps a lot of people from following Jesus. And the question is, why was God so different in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament? People will say the God of the Old Testament is violent and merciless. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus and he's so tender and full of mercy. Which one is the right God? Which one is the right personality of God? But like we said last week, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the perfect reflection and embodiment of the character of God. And Jesus and God the Father cannot contradict each other because they are one. So we have to look at the character of God as displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. There are moments in the Old Testament where God promises to destroy Israel because of their sin. They're worshiping other gods. They're living in blatant disobedience. And over and over again, God tells them that he will not compete for their devotion. Many of the prophets prophesy destruction on Israel for their sin. The reality is there is always a consequence to sin. There's always a consequence to sin, but there is also always hope. And that's what we see time and time again in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament past the destruction part, you'll see that God always comes back to mercy. God always comes back to mercy. After the punishment is always a promise to restore and a promise to accept and a promise to love the people that he's made a covenant with. Always it's incredible to read it because God's like, I'll wipe you off of the face of the earth, but then springs will well up in the desert and I'll restore to you the joy of your salvation. The reality about God's mercy is that God does not give up on us ever. God never gives up on us. God will never give up on you. He will restore you in ways that you could not have dreamed. His mercy never ends. So you can be powerful without being merciful. We've all seen this displayed. We've seen people who lived powerful lives or who had a lot of power in the workplace or political power. You can be powerful without being merciful, but you cannot be merciful unless you have some power. There are a lot of things in your life that have the potential to have power over you. And if you won't give Jesus control over your life, you'll give control of your life to something else. You can give power to addiction. You can give power to sex. You can give power to bitterness and anger so deep in your heart that it affects every relationship you have. Those things can have power over you, but those things will show you no mercy. They will destroy your entire life. If you give control of your life to anything other than Jesus Christ, it will show you no mercy. Jesus Christ is the only person that you can give control of your life in total power with full awareness and full confidence that he will treat you with total mercy. You have to be in someone's debt in order for it to be defined as mercy. When we come to a point where we're willing to recognize the power of Jesus Christ and we give ourselves over to that, it is there that Jesus Christ releases his mercy into our lives. Mercy requires power. The second thing we know about mercy is that mercy exposes entitlement. Mercy exposes entitlement. When Jesus was in his ministry time on earth, he often taught people by telling stories. And in Matthew chapter 20, he tells this really great story. Um, and what he said was that there was a, there was an owner of a vineyard who went to the marketplace and there were people there looking for work. He went very early in the morning. There were people there looking for work and he said, come work my vineyard and I'll pay, pay you one denarius for the day. So they loaded up the truck and they took the workers out. And then he went back to the marketplace at nine in the morning And there were more people looking for work, so he said, come work my vineyard, and I'll pay you for a day's labor. He went back to the marketplace at noon, and he went back again at 3 p.m., and then at 5 p.m., almost the end of the workday, he went back again, and there were people looking for work. So he said, come work my vineyard, and I'll pay you for for your labor. So at the end of the day, all of the workers come to him. And he gives the people who got there at five in the morning, he gives them one denarius as promised. And then the people who got there at nine, he gives them the same wage. And the people who got there at noon, he gives them the same wage. At this point the people who got there at five in the morning are like, what are you doing, you know? And it says that even the people who got there at 5 p.m. got the same wage as the people who got there first thing in the morning. Now, the people who got there first thing in the morning, they're like sweating, and they smell terrible, and they're like, I gave up a whole day with my family, and this guy hasn't even broken a sweat yet, and you're paying us the same wage. That's not fair at all. And the vineyard owner says, I paid you what I promised you. Did I not promise to pay you one denarius for a day's labor? He says, it's none of your business what I do for other people. Focus on what I've done for you. But we, the sense of entitlement can rise up within us when we see mercy given to someone else. There was a modern day example of this uh, last year in May. It made international news. Uh, there's a prestigious university in the U.S. called Morehouse College. And at their commencement, billionaire Robert Smith was delivering the commencement speech. And in his commencement speech, he said, I'm going to forgive all of your student debt. And you can see everyone go, you can kind of see realization creep over their faces where they're like, what does this mean for my life? That this burden of debt has been lifted off of me. The median loan that year for graduates of Morehouse College was $20,000 with the highest being several hundred thousand dollars. This was an extreme act of mercy because those students are now able to make decisions about their career and their families without this crippling burden of debt on them. But you know, some students and some economists criticized this guy because some of the students had worked really hard to graduate with very little debt. And so you have to imagine yourself if you're sitting there and you're thinking about how you worked three jobs every weekend to try to reduce your loan debt, and your roommate is sitting next to you and he went out and partied every weekend and he didn't work at all and just kept taking more loans. And now you find that both of you are having your debt forgiven. But you're thinking to yourself, man, I could have had a lot more fun in college if I had known that this was happening. And there were students who had actually had to leave the school because their debt had become so large. They left the school before they graduated. And they were like, what about us? We didn't make it because the debt was so high. This is a picture of our response to mercy. We're most grateful for mercy when we ourselves owe a large debt. That's when we're the most grateful for mercy. And we're most bothered by mercy when we see people not having to bear the consequences they deserve or perhaps that we have had to bear. The truth is that we often want justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves. We want justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves. A lot of us know the story of Jonah and the whale. The bridge kids learn it, you know, every year. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and he ran the other direction and he got swallowed by a whale or a large fish. If you're a Bible scholar, don't get specific with me. Uh, he got swallowed by a whale. And, um, but the part of the story we sometimes ignore is that God had told Jonah, go and tell the people of Nineveh to turn from their sin because I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. And so, Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, and he preaches and says, God's going to destroy you. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn your hearts toward God. So the people turn their hearts toward God. It says that the king issued a decree of a national time of repentance, and they then turned, the whole nation turned toward God. And then God said, well, I'm not going to destroy these people anymore because they did what I asked of them. And Jonah goes, are you kidding me? Jonah was like, I came all the way here. I got swallowed by a whale. It was so disgusting because you said you were going to destroy these people. And now, as soon as they say that they're sorry, you're not going to do anything to them. He was really mad about it. And then it says that it was a hot day. And so he sat under the shade of a tree. And after some time, the tree withered up and he was just baking in the hot sun. And he was like, oh, I'd rather die Then sit here in the sun. Well, how has God neglected me and forgotten me that he would allow this tree to die while I'm sitting under the leaves? And God says, Jonah, do do you have a problem with this? Do you feel that this is unfair? And Jonah was like, how could you do this to me, God? And the Lord says to Jonah, he says, this is a tree. This is a tree. And you're on me about hundreds of thousands of people that I have redeemed and rescued and have withheld my judgment from. And Jonah undergoes correction because he couldn't understand God's mercy. Mercy doesn't make sense until we need it or until we accept the fact that we all require it. We all require the mercy of God. And if we believe ourselves to be so self-sufficient that we do not require the mercy of God, we are lying to ourselves. Often the sense of injustice when mercy is shown finds its roots in a place of pride. And Mary addresses this in verse 51, and and we learn here that mercy demonstrates humility. Mercy demonstrates humility. She says, God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Mercy and pride cannot exist in the same heart. We often operate out of fear and mistakenly believe that the only way for us to gain influence, the only way for us to make a name for ourselves, is to preserve our pride. We fall into that trap sometimes, but as long as we are full of pride, we cannot show mercy. Because mercy requires that we relinquish power, and we give up the opportunity to be right. Mary says, she says, he scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, I don't like this verse at all. It'd be easier if she said those who have prideful actions. But what she's saying is in their inmost thoughts, in the shadowy places of their heart, there's pride there. She knows that what starts in the heart results in actions. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, he says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another translation of the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The truth is that our words and our actions expose the conditions of our heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Jesus kind of makes it a lot more difficult for us to see ourselves as good Christians in Matthew chapter five, because as he's preaching to a crowd, he, there are some there that are very proud of their religion. They're very proud of what good Christians they are. Um, and, and Jesus says, Hey, have you heard that rule that you shouldn't murder? And they're like, Oh yes, we've never murdered anyone. Jesus is like, keep up the good work, you know, but Jesus says to them, that's great that you don't murder, but if you, Hate someone in your heart, that's just the same as if you murdered them. You know? And then he says, You know, the law says do not commit adultery. And all the people say, Oh, yes, we know that commandment very well. We've never committed adultery. That guy over there, he did. He's the worst. And Jesus says, If you've even looked at someone with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. And all of a sudden, everyone goes, Because what that does, when Jesus starts talking to us about the condition of our heart, when Jesus starts talking about those shadowy places in our heart that we sometimes don't even realize are there, it's an equalizer. And suddenly none of us are innocent. Suddenly none of us are beyond the mercy of Jesus. It sounds harsh for Jesus to say that, but what he is saying is that the condition of your heart matters. And that every one of us requires the mercy of God for the forgiveness of our sins. It is impossible to be righteous before God when there is pride in our hearts. Because not only can we not give mercy to others, we can't receive mercy when there's pride in our hearts. Because we fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need it. We fool ourselves into thinking that we're so good. And sometimes we compare ourselves with other people and we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. At least I didn't speak to someone the way that they did. At least I didn't cheat on my wife like they did. At least I didn't steal from the company like they did. But what Jesus is saying is that it's the condition of those hidden parts of your heart. That's what he wants to deal with. And if we fancy ourselves holy and righteous without considering those dark inmost parts of our heart, Jesus can never change us because we won't be aware of how badly we need his mercy. We cannot live in a way that is contrary to the state of our heart because it always comes out in the end. It always exposes itself at some point. See, Jesus modeled for us what it is to choose humility over pride. The people of Israel, they had the promise of the Messiah. They had been given the promise of the Messiah. They understood that the Messiah would be a redeemer. They understood that there would be a a hint of freedom there. They understood that it would be a totally different world after the Messiah came. And so they thought that 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 meant that a political leader was going to come to power. And now they would be the ruling class. Now they're going to have their day in the sun. They're going to have their day in the spotlight. And they will finally be a powerful people. And the Messiah is going to do it. He's going to be a political leader. He's going to rise to power with a show of strength. But from the beginning, the Messiah came in human weakness in order that the power of God could be displayed. This whole season is about a Messiah who chose to be born of a virgin who is from a low social class. He was born in a barn. He was born to an unimportant family. He was raised by a carpenter. They had no status. It says in the Bible that Jesus had no status in his hometown. I don't know about you guys, but when I go home to, to where I was when I was a little kid, they'll be like, Kelly, look how big you are. And they mean that I'm grown up, but I'm like, it's not appropriate ever to say that to a 36-year-old woman. Don't ever tell me how big I'm getting, you know. <laughs> but it's funny because I can go to the church where I was a little girl and I can preach and all this. And they'll just come up to me and say, I'm so happy that your acne cleared up, you know. And this is, it says that when Jesus would go back to his hometown, he couldn't do any miracles there because nobody saw him as Jesus, the Messiah. He was little Jesus, the carpenter's son. Okay. He chose to live into that life. He chose to live a life of low social status to show us that there is power in humility. He chose to come in what we would call human weakness in order that the power of God could be displayed. We have to follow the example of humility. Humility shown by christ but we cannot become humble through our own efforts the only path to transformation is to submit ourselves to christ i don't know about you guys but there are times that the bible talks about asking god to examine our hearts and there's a few psalms that are really beautiful in their prayers where someone comes to god and they say god search my heart Because we recognize that there are places in our hearts where there is sin buried so deep that we don't even know it's there. Until it starts to present itself. So sometimes in my time of prayer, I'll go, God, search my heart. And show me if there is anything in my heart that is not pleasing to you. That was a prayer of David. And sometimes when you do that, God will expose parts of your heart that are so ugly. Or are so broken. And you sit there in that moment and you go, man, what hope do I have to ever change? What hope do I ever have to start speaking kindly to my spouse or my children? What hope do I ever have to overcome my pride? What hope do I ever have to overcome the things that have led to my addiction? Let me tell you today, the only thing that can transform the human heart is Jesus Christ. That's the only hope For the sin that lives in those inmost parts of our hearts. Mary said he scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts. Those roots of sin that grow so deep in our lives. God's mercy to us is exposing those and uprooting them. So that we can live a life of obedience to him. No one can change a heart but Jesus. But The beautiful thing about Jesus The beautiful thing about God, the father, the beautiful thing about this mercy that is born of the power of God is that when you expose the ugliest part of you, when you expose the thing you're most ashamed of, when you come to the Lord and you say, I'm done trying it on my own, you're the only hope I have left. I'll take whatever consequence you give me. I just can't live like this anymore. That's the point where God releases his mercy on your life in a way that you can't imagine that's the point where God begins to restore things that you thought were long dead there's this moment in the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus where Jesus is there on the cross and there's a thief on either side of him and one of the thieves looked at Jesus and he said if you're so smart get yourself off of here if you're so powerful if you think you're the son of God why don't you do something about this he's full of pride he's full of anger And the thief on the other side, he, he goes, I got myself into this. I'm a thief. I'm a criminal. I'm being executed because I deserve this. He says, you, you don't deserve this at all. And he said, I believe, I believe that you're who you say you are. And he said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says today, right now, today you'll be with me in paradise today see the thief on the cross he was like one of those workers that came to the vineyard at the last hour he hadn't done anything to earn salvation he had lived a life of crime he had probably hurt people he'd stolen from people he had done enough bad stuff in his life to be worthy of execution and he said jesus if you have any mercy left for me just will you remember me And Jesus said, today, right now, right now, it's a fresh start. Right now, it's like none of that ever happened. That's mercy. Mercy is when we don't get the consequence that our sin has rightfully earned us. I want you to hear that today. There have been times in my life where I have put so much effort into changing my heart. I've tried so hard to behave well, and I've tried so hard to earn mercy. But you can't earn it. It's a free gift. And the only way to get it is to ask for it. The only way to get it is to come to a point where you say, I've gotten myself into this. And I know what I deserve. But Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus didn't even hesitate. He said, today, you're going to be with me. It's over. The past is over. It's a fresh start. Would you stand with me this morning? A Messiah who came to rise to political power might have been born in a palace or in a politically effective area. But we serve a Savior who came in true power in order to demonstrate the great and boundless mercy of God the Father. That's the kind of God we serve. And today I want to encourage you that Mary understood the mercy of God. She included it in the song because it's such an important part of God's character that we cannot know God unless we recognize his mercy for us. And we cannot recognize God's mercy for us unless we first come to the point of recognizing how badly we need it. So what I'd like to do in this next few moments is the team's going to lead us in one more song. And I would like for us just to take a moment to reflect that prayer of David where David said, God, search my heart. And show me if there's anything in it that is not pleasing to you. That's a bold prayer to pray. Sometimes I would just rather not know, if I'm honest. Sometimes I I avoid talking to God because I know he's going to expose some things in me. And I'm afraid of what might happen. I'm afraid of what he might ask me to give up. Or I'm afraid of how God might respond to me coming and asking forgiveness for something I've asked for forgiveness many times before. But every time I allow God to search my heart and bring things to the surface, I am met with mercy and with love. So for the next few moments as we sing this song, I would love for us just to take a few moments to reflect on the person of Jesus Christ. On the mercy that Mary spoke of. That God extends mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. That he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Let's take a moment just to reflect on the goodness of God and on what he might be saying to us. We have our prayer teams are available in the back, but otherwise, let's take a moment and allow God to speak to us as we worship for just a moment. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from The Bridge. If you'd like more information about The Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com.